Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Psalm 19. I'll be reading the entire psalm, which is 14 verses. And please follow along as I read God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and these meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, in these moments, I pray that you would indeed open up our hearts to your word, that our meditations, our words, our attitudes would be pleasing in your sight, and you would lead us forward to serve you in greater and greater ways in confidence of your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are on the first Sunday of the new year, and either there's a great sense of opportunity or you've broken all your New Year's resolutions already, and so we can just go ahead and start over. I, I love this sense of what will this year be like. I had a pastor who, I, um, who was at one of my churches many years ago, and, and Pastor Dean said that if we aim at nothing, we'll hit it every time. And so I want to talk this morning about what it means to take aim on the year, what it means to put together and to reflect upon a rule of the life which is not a set, a set of resolutions that we do, but a direction that we go which helps us to become something in Jesus Christ that's greater and more faithful than we have in the past. I um, want to tell you a lousy joke this morning to get things started, but uh, I'm warning you about this. There was a pastor and a lawyer and a doctor who went out deer hunting one day. And they were out there and this deer appeared out of nowhere and the pastor and the lawyer shot and the deer went down, and the pastor said, I got him. And the lawyer said, no, I got him. The doctor said, let me check it out. So the doctor went over, and he looked at the deer and came back and said, the pastor got him. The lawyer said, how could you tell? He said, oh, well, it's the path of the bullet. It went in one ear and right out the other. <laughs> Hopefully we'll do better this morning than that. I know that all of us have a goal, that we want to be more like Jesus Christ. We want to know him, as Paul said, in the power of his resurrection, to know his love for us, 
to be able to walk through the life that God has given us in greater and greater faithfulness. When we look at the year ahead, it's very tempting for us, as with many other areas of our lives, to be very me-centered about things. That I want to do these things because it makes me better. It makes me look better, frankly, sometimes. It makes me behave better. It makes me more faithful. And yet, the focus for us always ought to be not on how it makes us look, but how it enables us to be more available to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And as we think about what it means to move through this year, we're not looking at personal success, but we're looking at the quality of our discipleship to become all that we can in Jesus Christ. So as we think about what that looks like, on the one hand, we're all gonna be different because we're gifted differently, but there's also a standard for all of us to be part of. Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now that's the standard. That's the goal that all of us are to seek to work toward. But Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians that we are part of the body of Christ and we have spiritual gifts and so we're each different from one another. So we have a common goal of loving God with our heart and soul and mind and strength but that's going to look a little bit different for each and every one of us. Each of us has a different sphere of influence. We have different personalities. My giftedness might lead me to do something pastorally. Your giftedness might lead you to do something in hospitality or in befriending someone or in sharing your life with others in evangelism. But each of us are called to move toward that goal of giving ourselves to God and giving ourselves to people as God leads us to go ahead and do it. So I want to talk this morning about what is called a rule of life. And a rule of life can be looked at a couple different ways. Here's a couple definitions of a rule. The first is a rule is something one is obligated to do. We're obligated to drive by the rules of the road. We're obligated when we're students to abide by the rules of the school. That's not exactly what a rule of life is supposed to be. Instead, a rule of life is a form of measurement which tells us if we're on course, if we're moving in the right direction, if we're doing the things that God wants us to do so that we become more Christ-like. So rather than looking at it in a negative way, let's look at it in an aspirational way. So rule of life is a way of living that positions us now to look more like Jesus Christ. Here are some examples, some specific examples of what that can look like. It might be a goal to read through the Bible, perhaps this whole, in this coming year, you're gonna read through the whole Bible. It might mean to keep a spiritual journal. It might mean to take 30 minutes, to commit 30 minutes each day for prayer. It might mean to set aside a day a month or a day a quarter to just be with God and be quiet from everything else to pay attention to what God is leading us to be and to do. It might mean to dedicate ourselves more to serving others than we have in years past. It could be to join a small group where we can partner with other people and they can spur us on to love and good deeds, as Scripture says. There are many things that can be incorporated in a rule of life. Those are spiritual types of things. We are whole people, so it also can involve our bodies. It can involve physical conditioning, maybe getting more sleep, uh, our diet and health improving from times in the past could be renewing hobbies that help us out to, to free our minds and relax us into life in new ways. But a rule of life needs to have 
a transformational goal. And the breadth of that means to connect to Christ, to become more like Him, and also to reflect our personality in integrity. So your rule will not look like mine because you're not like me. But as we strive to move together toward that great commandment goal, we encourage one another in that way. Now let me warn you that there's a pitfall in this, and I want to encourage us from the beginning, I'll get to this at the end again, to actually write down a rule of life. Pray about and write down what God is leading you to do and to be this year. But the pitfall of this is when we end up treating it like another to-do list, where we end up thinking, well, gosh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. This is aspirational. We don't do it because we have to do it. We do it because we want to become more like Jesus. It's not New Year's resolutions. It's transformational aspirations for our life. Here's the definition that I pulled off of the internet. A rule of life is a commitment to live your life in a particular way. No, live your life in a particular way. It is meant to be crafted with prayer and discernment in partnership with God as you consider the way God made you and the values He has inscribed upon your heart. Once written, it becomes a tool that can help you make decisions for your life and determine how best to order your days. So it is about becoming rather than just doing. I, I've shared several times um, that one of my hobbies is woodworking. I, I build guitars as a hobby. And one of the things that woodworkers have done through the years in order to be able to repeat something or to measure whether they're doing something correctly is rather than pulling out a ruler every time, they put together what's called a story stick. And a story stick, in essence, tells the story about a particular thing one is making. So here's a story stick which tells me what the profile of a guitar neck is supposed to be like. So when I'm getting ready to do this, I, I don't go measure things and get my compass out. I get this and I put it on the piece of wood and it tells me what this is going to look like horizontally. And then this piece of wood is another one and you can't see closely, but it's got little notches inscribed in it. And those tell me exactly where the frets, the metal bars across the fingerboard are supposed to be placed because you can't mess up on those. They've got to be exactly in the right place. And rather than mismeasure, this is very, very um, precisely etched on here. So I take this on my neck and I lay it down across that and I mark those. And that tells the story of what that neck is supposed to be like. Think about a rule of life as a story stick. It gives critical measurements along the way to evaluate whether we're on course, whether we're moving ahead in the right way, and always in the mind that the great commandment is our common pursuit. Now, I can't tell you what your rule of life should be. That's up to you to do, but I want to, I want to give us this morning three foundational principles that undergird the concept of a rule of life. So I want to go kind of big picture and, and give you these, which I'm going to give you in an ABC form. And then you can go ahead and take those and start to funnel them down into the specifics of your life. But I think every rule of life needs to live into these three foundational principles. And the first principle is to live in awe, A-W-E, to live in awe of who God is. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. If we want to have our lives transformed, it will never be based in what I should do or what I can do on my own strength. 
It will always be based in how we move our hearts more and more and stand in awe of the living God who has the power to transform our lives. So the heavens declare God's glory. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. So the creation gives us clues into the majesty of God and how great and wonderful God is. Time and space bear witness to who Jesus is. We look at the day and the night, and both give us a perspective on eternity. Our days right now, thankfully, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that days are lengthening now, so that we're going to get toward the summer again in not too distant future. Hang on there, folks. You summer people, we're going to get there again. But they're lengthening, and they remind us that during the day and the light that's given to us, we can see the beautiful world around us. We could walk in its gracious beauty. We can follow God into that world. And at night, we're called to rest. We're called to reflect. We're called to settle in and reflect then upon this God who has led us through the days that we've had. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God has given us each and every day as a gift to look at as both day and night and to use fully the day that God gives us and to use fully the night that God gives us. So that's time. Both day and night give us perspective on eternity that remind us that eventually all of this will go away and we'll live in the light of our Lord and Savior as we shared together in our call to worship this morning. But it's also the space around us. The beauty of the earth around us reminds us of the beauty of the heavens and the beauty of who God is. Both declare that this God who we worship is capable of and is given to us great beauty and power in our lives. And so Psalm, six, Psalm 19 rather um, communicates to us something about who God is. It, it speaks to us. It tells us as we look around the world, this is confirmed that God is majestic. God is even greater than the amazing creation that we enjoy. It only hints at the wonder of who God is. It reminds us that God is powerful. Can you imagine having the power to create the world, the universe, the moon and the stars that we see around us, and God is even mindful of us, to create the vastness of a universe that we can't even imagine, which is filled then with the intricacies of each and every one of us, our hair color, our eye color, our size, our shape, our minds, our talents, our capabilities. That God is creative, that God has created us all different from one another and God has given the, the earth around us wonderful shapes and sounds and tastes and smells and colors. And perhaps most of all that, that God is loving, that in this great creation, God cares for us. Psalm 8 verse 4 says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So amidst this vastness and all this intricacy is a loving God who reaches out to us and cares for us and wants to know us. Now we'll do well to remember that God is God and we are not. And so our awe needs to be placed mostly in who God is and rather than what we have done but that we are loved by God, we are valued by God, and God frees us in that to live the life that God has planned for us. So the response for that needs to be a perspective of awe, of majesty, of, of worship for who God is. 
So we don't worship this great creation. We worship the God who created it, only the creator. We don't miss out on the power and the majesty of this God who created us. So the first foundational principle is to live in awe. The second foundational principle is to learn from the Bible. We have awe, we have Bible. It is God's word to us. Now, after setting things up through the creation, as I did, I hope you'll know that reading the Bible is not something that's dull. And if you've thought it is dull, let me try to reintroduce you to the, the great wonder of the story of Scripture. If creation presents to us this great, majestic, unnamed God, the Scriptures then lead us into the living room of this God and introduce us to Him personally. So we stand in wonder at the world around us, and Scripture then tells us who this God is, how this God cares for us. So if creation lifts our hearts with its beauty, the Scriptures lift our souls to the very throne of God and reminds us that we come there to worship Him. And the Bible does several very important things for us as we read it, and this psalm identifies them for us. It tells us God's will for us, it tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So the law is for us not just the Ten Commandments, but it's the revelation of God speaking to us through all of Scripture. Because as Paul wrote to Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for us for our teaching, for our reproof, that we may become righteous and more like Jesus. And this perfection doesn't mean that we're totally without fault. This perfection means that we are led into a sense of wholeness, a sense of completeness. The scripture tells us all that we need to know we're loved, to know we're called, to know that we're sent. That the statutes of God are trustworthy, it's truthful, it's dependable. And in the boundaries that Scripture gives us, those are the safe places within which to live our lives. And we're considered wise then when we follow them. We're wise in our relationships when we live within the boundaries of the commandments. We're wise in our use of money and time when we follow God's law. But secondly, it also gives us precepts, and these are more like principles. And so if the law gives us definite boundaries, the, prince, the precepts, give us principles by which to make decisions for the other aspects of our lives. We develop our values, we develop our principles, our priorities from God's precepts, and they guide us in making decisions of right and wrong, even beyond the law. And then I love it how the psalmist says that um, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So this is a repetition of the word law, but now in terms of, we don't see it in terms of boundaries, but we see it in terms of joy, that our knowledge and our obedience, are not, our obedience are not a burden. They're radiant. They're enlightening. They free us. They bring wholeness to us in our lives. And so when we follow these laws, these precepts, these commands, our souls are refreshed. And even the most simple of us then can live from a wise perspective as we, we follow God's guidelines. And our hearts are filled with joy because we live from a posture of joyfulness. Our eyes are given light, it says. We can see the way ahead, and it is good. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. 
as we move into the darkness of the future and don't know exactly what it holds for us, God's word guides us, enlightening our hearts and guiding our way. And I remember about 46 years ago this month, right after I'd made a faith commitment to Christ, um, one of my friends who was a much more mature Christian said, you know, you really need to be reading your Bible. You really need to get into it. And so I, I found myself a method for reading through the Bible. And, and every morning I'd go have breakfast and I'd come back to, to my dorm room. And, and I found as I opened the scriptures, it was everything that this says. It was showing me boundaries which gave me freedom to act within those. It was giving me precepts and principles from which to make decisions. It was bringing joy to my heart as it led me to know this great God more and more personally. Again, in the living room of our hearts where God comes to be with us. So we want to live in awe. We also then want to learn from the Bible. And finally, we want to lend compassion in our living with other people. The final verses of Psalm 19 talk about keeping God's statutes and being God's servant. And one of the great distinctions of Old Testament biblical faith was its concern for the relationships of people and their communities as well as their relationship with God. That more than any other ancient culture, the Jews were invited to open their arms to other people and to serve the needy and to take care of those who were weak and to, in general, be a blessing to those around them. God promised to Abraham that he would be blessed, that he could be a blessing and his lineage, a blessing to other people as well. So even those non-Jews who wandered into Jewish communities were treated with respect, they were included in the community, and they were protected by the law. And this is, friends, for us, a preview of the universality of the gospel, that the gospel is there for all people, and God's compassion is there for all people. And so you and I are called, as we live in awe of who God is, as we learn from the scriptures, to reach out our arms and not only the love, love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love our neighbor as ourselves. So the scripture in both the Old and New Testament um, demands even, includes God's people to exercise compassion to those around us. So when we keep God's statutes, we are bearing witness in the world to who God is. And we are bearing witness that the transformative work that God has done in us is continuing and it's real and, and it makes a difference to the world around us. So as we live in awe, as we read the Bible, we become aware of God's priorities for how we live out that compassion in the world. And being aware of our sin and our forgiveness from God helps to motivate us then to extend compassion to others, even as God has extended that to us. One of the great pictures that Jesus paints in Scripture is in Matthew chapter 25, where he says to people that just as we did unto the least of these, we did to Jesus. Just as we fed the hungry, just as we clothed the naked, just as we visited the sick in prison, just as we included people who were lonely in our community, we did this to him, for him. And so just as the story stick has the horizontal and the vertical, you and I are called in living out our rule of life to extend both of those to other people as well. So how do we do this? Let me remind us again, a rule of life needs to be more than a new set of rules. It needs behind it a relational connection to God and to God's will which includes our relationships to others. 
Mark Laberton is the president of Fuller Seminary, and in a talk I heard him give actually uh, in our church here many years ago, he said that one of the things his dad said as he was witnessing to his dad, and his dad wasn't a Christian at this juncture, his dad said, the problem with most religious people is they take great things and they make them small. So what I want us to think about is we want to be specific in developing a rule of life, but we don't want to be small. We don't want to be just me-oriented in this. We want to be worshiping God in awe. We want to be learning from the Bible, and we want to be extending compassion to other people. So we're trying to be more faithful. So I want to suggest three things to develop your, your rule of life now, um, and one is to leave something behind. You and I can identify something in our lives that we just need to be done with. Perhaps it has to do with how we handle relationships. Perhaps it's ethical decision-making. Perhaps it's, it's how we treat other people. But when we develop our rule, we can always identify something we want to overcome or be better at. And we need to do that because if we don't, it's gonna continue to be a roadblock in the way of our spiritual life. So none of us is perfect. We all have our struggles and weaknesses but we need to put these behind us in order to move forward. When Julie and I were first married, we lived in a mobile home um, in Northern California. Uh, you can save your trailer park jokes for later, but um, we lived in a trailer park. It happened to be next to a prison, so it was really an amazing place. Um, yeah, that's the truth. Um, and it wasn't very cold in Northern California, but you know, a, a trailer is just basically a sardine can, so you don't have any insulation in it. So we needed to have heat in the winter, and there was a very small furnace that was there that would, that would do forced air. Uh, and so one year, um, when it was starting to get cold, I went in and I lit the pilot light for the furnace, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't kick on. And I checked it several times, the pilot light was on, the flame was there. But when it got cold, I couldn't get it to kick on, really flame on into the furnace and, and pump that hot air into the trailer. So I eventually had to call somebody. And the serviceman came out and, and he started to take things apart because he couldn't figure, out it, figure it out either. And finally he took out his little, diff, little nozzle and that was where I had lit the pilot light. And he came and showed it to me and inside this little nozzle was a spider web that spiders are attracted to whatever smell we put in natural gas. And this spider, sometime when the heat was off, came in and, and wove his little web and, uh, and probably died when I lit the pilot light. But um, he just took that out. It was impeding the flow of the gas like a, like a piece of cheesecloth would. And it wouldn't let the gas come in such force that it could kick on the full flame and heat up the house. And friends, I think sin is like that in our lives that we may have the pilot light lit, but when we have known, unconfessed sin in our lives, it prevents the flame from really moving on, and, and if I can move into the book of Acts now, for the fire of the Holy Spirit to, to burn off the sin in our lives and to change our lives and to empower us. So we need to leave behind something in order to let that flame really, really grow. So we confess this to God. We ask God then to, um, to change our hearts, through the power of His Spirit. And so we all have something to leave behind. As you write your rule of life, it's important to say no to something as well as to say yes. What is it you need to leave behind? Secondly, we need to identify something to lift forward. We want to be aspirational, a God-centered, 
Christ-oriented perspective. Perhaps it's to add a new spiritual discipline, such as I mentioned at the very beginning of the sermon, or to renew a valuable practice, or to find ourselves moving away from our own little cubby into life with other people through service or through a small group. But pray for a new passion in our faith. Paul said in Philippians, and listen not just to the words, but, but to his passion in this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on, I, I strain, I, I aspire, I train for this race that I may be faithful to Christ. So leave something behind. Lift something forward. And then leverage each and every day. Reorder your day to be available to God. Maybe it's to say in the morning, I'm gonna not do anything else until I have a quiet time. Maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe you're getting up at four to commute someplace. So maybe during your lunch hour or even at the end of the day, you will have time in which to, to fellowship with God, to read his word, to be instructed to worship in awe, to learn from the Bible, and to ask God to lead you into acts of compassion. And remember, remember that some of the greatest impact that has ever happened in the world has not happened from one huge gesture, but from small ones spread over a lifetime. Don't put too much pressure on yourself with this. So as you put together your rule of life, pray, ask God to guide you, Listen to what God tells you. Come from a posture of worship, a posture of knowledge of the Bible, a desire to be compassionate. And as you'll notice, the awe, the Bible, and the compassion relate very much to our worship, grow, and serve here at our church. So keep that in mind as you move ahead with your life. I'd like to end the sermon by having us pray together a great prayer which was put together by St. Benedict, um, one of the great um, saints of the church from years past. And if, it's, if we can get it on the screen, we, I'd like you to pray this with me out loud. Shall we join together? Almighty God, give me wisdom to perceive you, intelligence to understand you, diligence to seek you, patience to wait for you, eyes to behold you, a heart to meditate upon you, and life to proclaim you through the power of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.